the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis. Originally was going to do a Monday episode yesterday, but didn't watch a ton of the fun, the festivities from both the Pro Bowl, the NHL All-Star Game. I was at a birthday party for myself on Saturday. I caught all of 10 minutes of the NHL All-Star Game. I watched a little bit of the Pro Bowl. I watched mostly Sunday. I was mostly watching the the Clash, the NASCAR event at the LA Coliseum. Didn't think I had enough for a full 30-minute episode, so I tabled the idea, and you're going to get the synopsis of my idea here in the monologue. Today's show, as promised, we're going to be talking about the Calgary Flames, Flames with the host of the Locked on Flames podcast, Jess Belmosto, who's been on the show before. She was on early last year, right after... The, the Flames had hired Daryl Sutter as their head coach. Didn't really know what they were going to be. They ended up having a really difficult season, really bad COVID outbreak. And this season, they are one of the more intriguing teams in the league to me. They have some of the best underlying numbers in the entire league. They've only played 41 games this year so far because they had a pretty bad COVID outbreak early in the season. Had to be paused for the better part of three weeks because literally every single player on the roster caught COVID at one point and they just did not have enough healthy bodies to play. Now Calgary is sitting in fourth place in the Pacific division with five games in hand on the two teams in front of them, the LA Kings and the Anaheim Ducks. Calgary will likely pass both of those teams in the second half. Today's show is centered about how the Flames got to where they are right now, what the Flames are looking like at the moment, and of course where the Flames go from here. That's how I like to frame these all-star game check-ins about the NHL franchises because you got to understand the big picture. How last year impacted the offseason, what they did in the offseason, how that impacted how this year is going. There are so many layers to all of these situations that you need to be able to unpack to really get a good understanding. And even with all of that, even with the conversation, they still got to go out and play the games. They have great underlying numbers. They're a little low in the shooting department. They're below 7%. That's less than ideal. You want that number to be closer to 8 or 9. But good talk about the Flames with Jess. But before I get there, real quick, I understand why we have to have Pro Bowls and all-star games, and all of these festivities. In theory, these are a good idea. It's supposed to be more access with the players, a little bit less serious of an environment, supposed to be a little bit more fun. You want to keep doing all-star games and Pro Bowls? Lean into it. Make this about the personalities. You want to elevate young, under-identified talent. Like the NHL all-star game... Every year to me, I think you should pick four rookies. And the four rookies should be captains, and they should get to pick the veterans. And we do our teams like that. Instead of by division, no. We do it. You pick four rookies. They each captain a team. They each draft guys. We bring back the draft, which was a fun viewer experience where all the players got a little liquored up and got to draft teams and talk shit a little bit and have some fun. Everybody remembers the year Ovechkin asked to get picked last so he could win the car and then give the car away to somebody. So... Lean into it. It's supposed to be fun. In contact sports like football and hockey, you are never going to get a maximum effort because you can't play those sports at half speed. You can't play football without tackling. You can, and that's going to be my suggestion for them, for the NFL, for the Pro Bowl, but as far as the NHL is concerned, the All-Star game was fine the 10 minutes I watched. There was a little bit of intensity. There's just mostly breakaways and a lot of open space, but... 
I want fun. Lean into the corniness. The skills contest on Friday was great. Jack Hughes and Trevor Zegris, the TikTok kids, they understand the they understood the assignment. This is supposed to be silly. It's supposed to be fun. It's an opportunity to show who you are. And so much of hockey isn't about that. It's the we over me bullshit that the NHL is still using to beat back player salaries so they don't have to pay anyone any real money. Lean into the fun. Or if you don't want to do four rookies as the captains, do established rivalries. Do McDavid, do Austin Matthews, do Sid, do Ovechkin. Those are your four captains. Lean into the narratives. This is supposed to be silly. As for the Pro Bowl, the answer is very straightforward and simple. I don't know if the NFL will ever do it. It's very simple. Make it a flag football game. Make it seven on seven. Everybody can still get selected if you're an offensive or a defensive lineman. You can still get selected for the Pro Bowl, but seven on seven, no pads. Let's turn up the speed a little bit. Let's see everybody running full speed. No real risk of big hits. No one getting hurt. I want to see. I want to see creative things. I want to see Justin Herbert throwing 85 yards in the air and hitting Tyree Kill in mid stride. The uh, the allure of the Pro Bowl makes sense. The NBA All-Star Game, they just don't play defense, but you can still see some exciting things in that. And the MLB All-Star Game is the closest thing to real baseball, so of course it's the best All-Star Game. You're never going to get that level of seriousness in the other three. Lean into the fun. Drafting teams, making people pick their friends or be stuck with someone they don't like, that's fun. You need to play up the narratives. These All-Star Games are supposed to be about exposure for the league, Exposure for younger players who don't play in as big of a market. I want the people I know who are casual hockey fans to be come away from this weekend and go, wow, Trevor Zegers and Jack Hughes, that was really cool. Kirill Kaprizov, that was awesome to see him play like that. That is the point of the All-Star game. Until we start having more of that, we're missing the boat on what the All-Star game could be. Okay, that's my preamble. That's my monologue, whatever you want to call it. Before I get to today's show with Jess, I do have to remind everyone to please help support the show. Available on all of your major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher. We're there. Next, if you are using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review. So, on Apple Podcasts, you go to the show's page. You scroll past our recent episodes. Five clear purple stars on the bottom. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Take a minute. Please, please, please leave a written review for the show. That helps me out a lot. It takes less than a minute. It's really helpful. Spotify, you got to listen to a few episodes before you can leave a review. But leave a five-star review, please. Support your content creators. We are out here grinding, trying to help make you a little bit smarter while entertaining you. A lot of work goes into making this stuff happen. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show with Jess. I will see you on the other side of the drop. And with that, I'm very happy to welcome back to the show the host of the Locked On Flames podcast, Jess Belmosto. How are you doing, Jess? Good. Thanks for having me on. I'm very happy to be back. 
we got to get through this. This is that point of the year now where I like to check in with everybody, slowly making my way around the league, checking in with every team. So did three really good teams over the last two weeks, the teams that are right there towards the top of the league in Carolina, Tampa, and the Panthers. Taking in here on the Flames, who have had a weird year, to say the least. Uh, the COVID outbreak really kind of screwed up their trajectory because they came out of the gate really hot at the start of the season and the underlying numbers are still there of a really good team and now it's just a matter of they got 40 games to make up a little bit of the difference yeah definitely I was pleasantly surprised with uh how their season started I think that everybody had kind of gone into this with lower expectations than they did with the bubbles realigned divisions um especially with this being I guess technically the first full season under Daryl Sutter and um just even towards the end of last season when they played like four games and five days against the Canucks who had their own Delta outbreak or whatever it was and uh you started to see the changes there so it was it was bound to happen. Yeah. So last time I had you on was like a week or two after they hired Sutter. They were still, it was too early to make any snap judgments about if anything was going to fit or anything. There was the, the general old man conjecture of, well, let's see how somebody who's been out of coaching for a few years does with what's a pretty young group. They lost a few key people. They made an addition or two in the off season. How would you assess what last season did to the team in terms of going forward because that was a group a little bit older a little bit expensive still you have your high upside pieces like Goudreau like Kachuk that you got to figure out but how would you say last year altered where the team was going in terms of their big picture view of what they were yeah I think last year was truly a wake-up call for Mm. them because they couldn't even compete in the north division which was the least competitive division of So um, it was just very interesting to see (laughs) just the difference, like the complete 180 from, you know, not being able to compete against the Senators to putting up like eight or five goals against the uh, Panthers, one of the best teams in the league. So, you know, it's just very encouraging to see and I think that you know the conversation has always been um you know what core piece are they going to move whether that be Giordano uh Kachuk Gaudreau and then they made the decision to move um their captain and you know I think (laughs) you know based on how things are going right now I think that was truly the best decision how do you think losing Giordano impacted the team first from a hockey perspective and then just, you know, leadership of the team? Because right now they're playing without a captain, which that's not totally unnormal in today's NHL. There's a handful of teams. The Rangers are one of them. Um, Columbus is one of them where no captain. But how do you think that impacts the team on ice results and then the other part of it, the intangible side of things? Yeah, you know, I think there were enough rumors last year saying that Gio had lost the room. And especially after Kachuk kind of had an outburst against Toronto and that sort of aspect of things. So 
you know, I think eventually you just kind of have to move on. Like some people just aren't (laughs) going to be able to lead a locker room for 12, 13 years. It's not possible. And especially when, you know, there truly is like a shift in generations with this hockey, this, you know, these young guys coming up and it's not the same old, you know, we go out there, we play hard, we grind, you know, whatever. It's, it's about more than that to them. And I think that them not having a captain, but bringing in players like Blake Coleman, who has won two Stanley cups and is still relatively young, kind of gives them this, you know, this kind of like, Ooh, look what we can accomplish. This is a player who was on one of, you know, the most exciting lines in hockey. It was a third line, but it was still a great line to watch. And he wants, he wanted to play here. So I think that having players like Blake Coleman, Milan Lucic, and a few of the other guys, uh, older guys like Trevor Lewis and Brad Richardson from LA come in and sign as free agents kind of, you know, boosted them a little bit, like saying, okay, (laughs) it's possible. You can do it. How would you say going from Giordano as your one to Hannafin as the one has changed the way they play defense? It's a lot faster. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I think that Gio is still a good hockey player and, you know, obviously losing him is you you have to, there's going to be a change regardless when it comes to your players and chemistry and whatnot. But I think that the defense, you know, it's not, um, as behind as it was from last year, I think Noah Hannafin has definitely grown since I started covering the team and people forget that he's only like 24, 25, uh, because he's been in the league so long and he is taking those steps to be, um, one of their best defensemen. And I think that last year when he was playing alongside Chris Tanev, he, he had, you know, a solid leadership or partner that he could look to for advice and kind of mold his game after in order to get to that one pair. What would you say was your biggest question about the Flames coming into the season after the way last year went and then changing back to the old divisional alignment? What were you, what did you need to see from the group to be convinced that, okay, they'll, they'll be fine. I'm not that worried. What did you need to see? I needed to see Gaudreau and Sean Monahan separated because okay. they, when Sean Monahan left last season with his injury, they bumped Gaudreau up to the top line and six, no, five of uh, Kachuk's 16 goals came in those last few games with Gaudreau on that line. And it was just very, uh, it was a very nice line to watch and I wanted more of it and you know thank god Daryl Sutter did that yeah because when I saw them I saw them twice in a week and a half because they played the Rangers and then the Devils in the in the same 10-day window I saw them both times and just the way that's one of the things that if you don't see it in person you don't get but seeing the way Kachuk and Goudreau just they have that 
I don't know what the word that intuition though just I don't really need to worry about where that guy is I know he's mm-hmm. gonna be in the right spot and they're both so just agile and shifty that they can get wherever they need to be and it's been I don't want to say a revelation because obviously if you put two really good hockey players together it'll probably elevate them but at <laughs> the same time I mean Johnny's having one of the best years of his entire career and Kachuk is probably having one of the best years of his entire career it, it sounds silly to say like yeah is it really rocket science but at the same time you got to actually do it right and I think that was just one of those things that the team before Sutter just never committed to and I don't understand why because I don't think that they ever truly had like a solid staple to that top left wing I think that there were times where it was just kind of like a rotating door which makes no sense to me when Gaudreau is right there but you know, I think that uh, over time, Daryl Sutter just kind of said, you know what, I want to win. Yeah. This team's hungry, so we're going to switch up what we need to do to get there. And adding Blake Coleman gives them two really strong lines. Like Michael Backlund is probably never going to be as good as how much money he's getting paid. But yes. if you support him with Manjapani and Coleman, that's fine. There's right. enough there in there's enough there in that top six to work with. And I do think going back to this alignment has helped them out a little bit. Like I know we talk about how the North division was kind of weak last year. It was mm-hmm. very top heavy where Vancouver kind of had the year from hell. Everybody got sick, sick. Ottawa had no expectation. They didn't expect to be good last year, but last year, they, the flames just had weird stretches against certain teams because you're playing the same team so often like i think they went three and five against toronto they went like two and five against ottawa and just yeah. you feel like you get even closer to a coin flip a little bit more of a 50 50 in each of those you're right there and that flames team last year had really good stretches but then you have the really bad outbreak and then after that it was kind of hard to get your season back on the tracks and then you change your coach mid-season and there's just so much going on I don't know what I expected from them this year. I definitely expected a playoff team, probably third or fourth in the Pacific. But the way they're playing, this is better than what I expected, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is just unseen footage. (laughs) (laughs) of like untapped potential here is finally coming to light. And um, it's great to see. I think that they're very competitive. And one of my favorite things is the fact that they have been able to play a full 60 minute game and at a competitive speed. And early last year, they looked like a beer league team. They looked (laughs) like they didn't want to be there. Like they had just come from their nine to fives and are like, oh, here we go. Got to do this again. And they have shaped up big time. They've um, really put in some work with conditioning and getting back into shape. And I think that that's helped them a lot. One of the things that I, I was skeptical of hiring Daryl Sutter after a few years away from the game and just, are we really going to retread another one of the same 43 white guys who get to be one of the 32 head coaches? (laughs) But at some point, I mean, the guy's been around the game this long and what they're doing is working from purely just a, when you watch the Flames play, every single person on the ice knows where the puck needs to go. 
Every game has the occasional stinker, but more or less, when I watch the Flames, I know what I'm going to get. They're going to get the puck in deep. They're going to try and win it in the corner. They're going to get it up to the point and try and get those second chance opportunities, the deflections, the rebounds. And that's a style that it's very replicable. Like, you don't need everything to go right for you for that style to be effective. And it's part of why they have such good underlying numbers. I mean, mm -hmm. they're... 55% plus in pretty much every single metric you can think of. And they're doing this while not shooting particularly well. They're only shooting like 6% where if they get that a little bit closer to the league average, this is one of the best teams in the league, not just one of the best teams in the division. Absolutely. And I think that that's kind of been my main focus is them just like not to be nitpicky and say, oh, this is what they need to do. Like I, to be honest, I've never played hockey. But I know what it takes, like after watching the game enough from an analytical perspective to win those games, because, yeah. you know, after a while, it does become very uh, obvious. And there for a while, there was just like this lack of confidence when it came to shooting the puck. And I think that that's still kind of lingering around. But I'm, you know, especially, especially with Noah Hannafin and Andrew Mangiapane, like the two of them back in November early December we're having like just this weird like dip in shooting yeah. um and again that's based on the eye test I don't have numbers readily available but I just I feel like both of them kind of slumped there for a little bit um but if they can increase those shooting shot those shooting shots no <laughs> the shooting percentage they will definitely you know the quote says it all. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah. Just shoot the puck and don't get fancy with it. I think that they're, again, you might not have the most confident players on the team when it comes to shooting it. Okay. Don't overpass just the fundamentals. Like you have to come back to that. And that's one of the things that I think some teams are a little bit more reluctant to go towards, which is why, what Calgary is doing, what Carolina is doing is so replicable. The, okay, we get it down low, we win it in the corner, it goes up high. Once it's up high, skate it towards the middle, try and rip a shot, somebody in the shooting lane, play the rebound. And yeah. Calgary is doing that at a really high level right now and in a way that I don't, I don't know if I would say I didn't think they could. It's just that these are really good results and they're doing well and Part of the shooting problem is just, you know, luck. That's one of the problems we have in, just, in analyzing hockey is so much of this game is just the way the puck bounces because it bounces mm -hmm. so weird. It's not – hockey is the most random of the four major sports because of just how much it comes down to bounces where you can do everything absolutely right and you just flub it on your shot and you miss the net, it hits the goalie square in the chest, and a lot of it is luck and people don't like accepting the whole – Part of hockey is just the unknown of until you try and get that shot to go in, you don't really know what's going to happen because there are so many variables between the time you wind up to shoot and wherever the puck ends up going. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just the complete difference between the way that they're playing this year to last year is phenomenal. And just yeah. with the minor roster tweaks too, because it's yeah. not like they're going out there and overhauling their entire you know bottom six or whatever but um I just I'm impressed and that's they're giving me more than I expected this year for sure 
And it's definitely easier to do a pod, a daily podcast when the team is better. It definitely makes your life easier as a creator when there's actually good things yeah. to talk about. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's good uh, not having to just be negative yeah. every single day of the week because that was exhausting. Uh, the team was giving me nothing to work with when I was doing that. And it was just kind of like, okay, hey, here was another six to two loss against Ottawa. Let's talk about what needs to change every day. And that that's boring. That's not yeah. fun. That's not fun to talk about. It's not fun to listen to. But when you can get excited about the potential of this team and even how while well they were playing the first half of hockey, even though they need to catch up to the rest of the league in terms of uh, you know, games played, but I just, they're such a talented group. So in terms of what they need, I'm not even saying like a specific player that's out there, what mm -hmm. type of talent would you say Calgary could use a shot in the arm of? Because by the time the deadline comes, they'll have five and a half-ish million dollars of cap space. So you can get a reasonable addition for that at the deadline, not even a specific player or position. What type of talent do you think Calgary could use? They need a power forward. Uh, okay. You know, a lot of people are talking about adding another two-way forward and they have enough of that and mm -hmm. I feel like you know too many cooks in the kitchen spoils the meal or whatever the saying is <laughs> but like you're just there's enough of that and I think they just need someone who can go out there and just shoot the puck where would and you plot where would you put that person in the lineup if they went out and added the pure just this guy's going to take it to the net because that's another thing when you have such a kind of entrenched top six adding somebody doesn't always work yeah you know that's a really good point um i think it depends on okay you know what position they like i don't think that you should touch that first line i think that first mm -hmm. line's fantastic uh i love that second line i think they're fan i think that they're one of the more exciting lines to watch because of how defensive they can uh yeah. defensively they can play but you know if it's a center you know if you get a uh, hurdle yeah it's a no-brainer to put backland down and bump uh hurdle in there but i it's so hard to say yeah because again i don't get paid to talk to yeah. figure that out but <laughs> i i just i think that you know they just they need to figure it out. And I, I think they have enough depth um, or that's a lie. They, they need <laughs> to do something with the bottom six, but it's stable. Like it's yes. not something that I'm like, Oh my God, please fix this. Like I was last year or the year before. I think that it's a fine bottom six. Do I think that they should launch Brett Ritchie to the moon? Yes. Yes. And Brad Richardson waivers exist for a reason just go out there and just find yourself a decent depth scorer yeah that's, that's all they need to do there yeah because when i was looking at it i was like this lineup is fine i mean yeah they could probably use one more forward but more or less this is what it is how would you assess year two of jacob markstrom in calgary so far i i don't even know i think that he's had like seven shutouts yeah. In two in one week and I was he stresses me out sometimes but he's just I think that he's playing much better hockey than he was last year I think yeah. that it helps with the team that's in front of him obviously 
but there's I don't like how they're managing his workload okay that is my issue because you know it's a condensed schedule now like until the end of the season and Vladar hasn't started a game I don't think since like the beginning of January he played one period after Markstrom let up three goals and 23 shots in Dallas so that he played 20 minutes of hockey I just I think that they need to start um rotating him in a little bit more because Markstrom has had issues with um his back before yeah, last exactly. season and that kind of derailed his success last year yeah no I definitely remember his being a lingering injury being a problem for him last year and that's really the conundrum when you go out and you get a guy to be your backup goalie is you have no idea how they're going to fit in how their personality is going to fit and even if somebody is talented you don't know necessarily how well they're going to play and the goalie market is just so complicated and every single year it's Oh, do I want to splurge for the guy in free agency? They went out and did it like Markstrom and that worked out for them. But you think about the year before Vancouver gave Braden Holtby that contract that didn't work out particularly well. And just goalies are so hard to predict going forward because there's no real, it's not like forwards and defensemen where you can kind of track how they play because goaltending is so dependent on what's happening in front of them. There's no Mm -hmm. real way. There's no real way to translate just how well Vidar played for Boston into, okay, so since he played like that there, he's going to be able to play like this here. There's just, yeah. it's so difficult to evaluate. Absolutely. And I think that's what's hard to be, you know, okay, your playoff debut or your NHL debut was in a bubble um, yeah. when your team was, had already let up six goals and now you're being thrown to the Wolves. Welcome to the NHL, kid. And then to, you know, I think that Boston made the right decision trading him away because their goaltending depth is great there. But I think that Calgary is truly waiting for Dustin Wolf to be ready probably next year or the year after. And he'll be the backup for until Markstrom's contract is up. And then, you know, But I just, I think that the goaltending situation is interesting. I think that it's definitely something to watch. It gives me a little bit of nerves watching them do their thing. But, um, you know, as long as Markstrom stays healthy and doesn't really, you know, feel the need to, uh, you know, overexert himself, I think it'll be fine. That's the real conundrum, especially for a team like Calgary that has to make up games and the NHL is really going to – a lot of teams are going to get screwed over in the second mm-hmm. half of the season, not just Calgary. And just – there are going to be more injuries. There is less recovery time. Every single team is going to have to deal with this, and especially in situations like that where it's a clear one and then a two as opposed to a 1A, 1B goalie mm-hmm. split – a lot of teams around the league are going to be looking down the barrel at, all right, we basically have to punt this game because our backup needs to play. We have to play four games in six days, four games in seven days. We got to play our backup at least two of those days. And just to say, and when you're in a situation like that, it's essentially saying, all right, we know we probably can't win tonight because we have to play our backup. And that's unfair to everybody, which is part of why the NHL pushing all of these games and doing the, well, if they can't have fans in attendance, we're going to move the games anyway. 
you gotta yeah. get the games in when you can because you're not being fair to the players realistically that's what i care about more i don't care if it's in front of an empty arena be fair to them they're the ones who are gonna have to deal with this exactly and you know there were a, a few games in the last two weeks where i would preview the game on the show and i said you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Ladar starts tonight because it is the second half of a back-to-back, yeah. the third game in four days. And then at warm-ups, it would be Markstrom. And it just, I don't understand it. But, you know, it's working. It's, again, things I'm not paid enough to analyze and I mean, decide. This is, <laughs> this, is, this is something I talk about all the time where it's the self-interested versus the team interested and trying to yeah. balance those two. And Sutter feels I can keep riding this guy. And if he breaks, he breaks so well, but we got to get in. He feels yeah. like there's a mandate of they brought me in here to make the playoffs in year one. I'm an older guy. We don't know what the team is going to look like even this summer because Johnny's a free agent year, this year, Kachuk after next year. There is a real clear, we need to get to at least the second round this year or next year to kind of assuage everybody's concerns and show, okay, we can afford to keep both of those guys and all we got to do is work what's around them. And that's part of this. And it's hard to think out that big because every season feels so long, but hockey is such a long-term game i mean last a couple weeks ago i did an episode where i was talking about just is your team being honest with itself and i'm looking through and i split all the teams up into categories and i put calgary in that middle the what i don't know what their goal is because i don't think you could realistically say calgary's goal was to win the stanley cup this year i think realistically any given year there's only five or six teams that can realistically say that and it's hard to be one of those teams in the middle because you have to balance the long term and the short term Absolutely. And I think that that's kind of just like the general assessment with Calgary is that they play like this middle of the road hockey and they play it safe. But I I do think that this year they have turned the heat up a little bit. They definitely are more competitive. But like you said, what is their long term deal? Because I mean, they can't even get a deal done with the city for their arena. arena. Yeah. So, you know, you have to factor that in and then, you know, Kachuk's like nine million dollar qualifying offer and you know are you going to offer Johnny something attractive enough to keep him there and uh we saw this last weekend that he his one of the main quotes was I loved spending this time with my family and that has always been the conversation around Gaudreau is he wants to go back east to be home with his family can you outbid the Flyers? The Devils? The Flyers, yes. The Devils, no. Oh. The Flyers have no money. The Flyers are... True. The Flyers had their, we need to save our jobs offseason last year with all <laughs> of the moves they made, where they traded for Ryan Ellis, Ristolainen, they brought in Keith Yandel, they brought in Broussard, they brought in all of Kevin Hayes' friends. They made their one last plea of, if we don't do well this year, everybody's getting fired, and everybody went and got fired. So the Devils, maybe... The Devils I could see, but he's got that weird South Jersey thing where he identifies more with Philadelphia than New Jersey, which I've never really understood, but I don't, who am I to tell people? I truly thought that he was from Philly. That's the way he yeah. Until I was like, wait a second, he's from Jersey. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I want to see him in a Flames jersey forever. I think, you know, even before I was covering this team, I was like, this kid is so good. Like he is the staple 
of Calgary. And then obviously with Kachuk, like he was still young and up and coming, but um, the two of them are just, they make this team so exciting and just interesting to watch. And thinking about the flames, like the flames won't be the flames without Johnny. Yeah. Johnny can light it up anywhere. He can. Yes. And it, he's a perfect example of you gotta, you gotta put him in a position to succeed. We always talk about this. Anybody can, anybody you draft that high is going to be talented. You play that high level at college and in an NCAA setting, you're going to be decent at the NHL level. It's a matter of getting in the right opportunity. And then once you're there, knowing what to do with him, because there was a, a decent amount of conjecture that he had already peaked, that he was on the downslope going back mm-hmm. towards turning, getting close to 30 and saying, okay, he's, his time as a first line top tier point producer is over. Now, obviously we know all he needed was the right line mates and a little bit of a kick in the ass and he's fine. Yeah, exactly. And I, and that was like one of the things that I had talked about, I think going into last season, I was like, I don't think that Johnny is finished. I don't think that he's done. I don't, I just, I truly feel like he needed, like you said, just a kick in the ass and a better line mate and Daryl Sutter, you know, they, apparently there was like a little tiff there with them because Johnny was getting less playing time and that's how you manage your lines as a real hockey coach kind of see everything out Uh, like last year was an experiment for Daryl Sutter and he was lucky that he got that because most coaches are just thrown into it and say oh god now I gotta fix this mess but Sutter saw and still sees potential in Johnny and is setting him up to succeed versus his previous coaches who just wanted to keep Sean Monahan, who played all of last season with a busted hip and groin, um, which is a whole nother, this league is a disaster when it comes to managing injuries, but Daryl Sutter just said, no, we're going to elevate you and get you to the back to the top player that you can be. And we're going to get this team winning again. So. So we just. We just said a minute ago of the, I don't know what Calgary's goal is. The best, case, the best case scenario for them this season is what? To me, I would say winning one playoff round, maybe yeah. two if you get two good opponents where you have a chance against them. Do you think that's a reasonable expectation for the type of talent they have? And then we'll talk about what that might look like in terms of who they're going to play because you draw the short end of the stick there and you play Vegas in round one. That's kind of tough. But well, let's start there. What's the goal for Calgary this year? Definitely. I think that, um, you know, you kind of have to look at this as like an umbrella because okay. what I want is I want to see Goudreau scoring. I want in the playoffs because there is just this nasty narrative that he can't score in the playoffs. I mean, the numbers show it, but Sean Monahan was injured every playoff. <laughs> every time the playoffs came around, he was not playing up to par and Johnny was carrying dead weight. But I would like to see that. Um, I think that getting to the second round and potentially winning the second round is enough. Um, they have not had, they've had a first round exit pretty much every playoff appearance in the last few years. So it's, uh, it's time. It's time to kind of 
show everyone what this team is made of and get them on a bigger stage. I talk about this on my show um, later. I'll talk about it later this week, but um, just how there's so much talent on this team that deserves to be shown off. And, you know, I think the playoffs is a perfect place for that. And if they can get to the conference finals, they, okay, do it. But I, I would be happy with two rounds. The weird thing you have to think about and come to terms with with a lot of this is, like we said, there's only five or six teams every year that have a realistic chance of winning a Stanley Cup. That doesn't mean the other 25 of those teams that don't are wasting their time. There are still things you have to accomplish in those seasons, even when you're not contending, especially for a team like Calgary that's in that middle class of team where you you're never going to be able to command the top of the market free agents because of the stigma of playing in a smaller market, the problems that come from playing in Canada with the tax differential, where it's a lot more expensive to live there. You have, you have set in-house kind of restrictions on what you're going to be able to do. So when you have opportunities like this season, where it's clear you have guys playing close to a career high, if not at their career high, you can't waste that because even if you can't win a cup this year, you get to a second round, that helps you out immensely because you'll get to sell out six home games, seven home games. Yeah. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but for a team like the Flames, that is firmly NHL middle class, those gates matter a lot. And for a lot of those middle class teams, they need to get in and win a round every few years. You think about like the Wild. The Wild are firmly in that same tier of we're probably never going to be able to get the most marquee guys, but we can draft well enough. We can fill in around them. We win a round here or there. That buys us more time. And it's hard to c grapple with that because that's not necessarily always the best thing for your team to win around and buy time for a coach and a general manager. Calgary, I kind of feel like winning a round would be good for them right now because it would empower that front office to say, okay, we need to keep both of these guys. We need to keep Johnny and we need to keep Kachuk because we won a playoff round for the first time in X number of years. And mm -hmm. just talking out loud here, you're making it's getting my gears working early on a Monday, but you're <laughs> think, you got to think about it in terms of that. There's just so many layers to this from a team building perspective, from a coaching and a hockey perspective that it's hard to complain when your team doesn't always win. And there are always going to be the unfair advantages that bigger market teams have. Absolutely. And, you know, just, I just, I feel like Calgary is always under the radar. Yeah. On, for, like someone's just always going to overlook them. And that isn't anyone's fault, but their own, really. Yeah. I, you know, I love oh, it's the, the league's fault too. It's the league's yeah. fault too. It, yeah, like there's definitely marketing issues there and things like that. But, you know, if you go out there and you win a playoff round, suddenly playing in Calgary with, you know, Jacob Markstrom and Johnny Gaudreau and Blake Coleman and Matthew Kachuk becomes a lot more attractive yeah. than settling in wherever. So I don't know. I think that they need to do themselves a favor and just win. Yeah. It sounds that so thinking about it, thinking about it out loud, they're in fourth in that division, but they have like five games more to play than the two teams yeah. in front of them. I imagine they will pass both the Ducks and the Kings because they've both played well in the first half, but I don't know how sustainable the way they've played yeah. is. 
Edmonton, I imagine, will make a run at some point during this window. But I think it's safe to say that if Calgary doesn't make the playoffs, it'd be a disappointment. You got to get to the two. You got to be one, the two or the three, I think, realistically. Because then you're looking at playing either Edmonton and a Battle of Alberta first round, and then either the Ducks or the Kings. And against either of those three teams, I feel like Calgary has a good chance of winning in the first round if they were to play Edmonton, Anaheim, or the Kings. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, for me, I want to see a battle of Alberta simply because uh, that gets eyes on the Western (laughs) Canadian market. But I think that, you know, in a seven game or best of five, you know, like there's uh, no sweat, no sweat there. That's the thing. You got to think of it in the big picture. And it's hard to do that as a fan or as a content creator or a media person sometimes because you're so caught up in the day to day of everything that you have to think out a little bit bigger. So realistically, they went around, they win two rounds, we'll say, then they go into the summer and they have to make that decision. Do you think the team result will have bearing on whether or not they keep Goudreau? Or do you think that no matter what, they want to make an attempt to keep him long term? I think that there is a desire to keep him long term. I think that you're more than likely going to grab him for a longer term than you would with Kachuk, who everybody who has just kind of agreed that he's going to eventually end up in St. Louis. But when we don't know. Um, I think that there's just, I don't know. I just think that Johnny is in his prime right now. And I know that's like bold to say after, you know, 41 games, but like, he's at that age where they had hit this like second wind of, you know, great greatness and great hockey. So I think that they really should work on keeping him long-term if they want to win. If they don't want to win, I'm not really sure what you're doing in hockey if you don't want to win, but I just you, you got to re-sign him and just be at his feet begging. And then the bigger question is, what do they do with Kachuk after next season? Because that's the... That's really uh that's a player that anybody will move heaven and earth to try and get if he's available. Where if Calgary yeah. says okay, we want to do X, Y, and Z. Does it make more sense to kind of take a step back, get a few assets back for him and kind of reassess our window or the very obvious, like you just said, we're here to win right now. We need to keep him. And even if that means we only give him like a four or five year deal as opposed to an eight year deal, it's it's not an enviable position that they have, they're in right now because they, these are franchise altering decisions they have to make and they don't have a lot of time to make them. Exactly. And I think it's just, it's so hard. Like, this is why I could never do that job. At least <laughs> not right now. Um, call me in like five years when I've given up. But uh, I think with, you know, like you said, it's not an envious, envious situation to be in. You know, I don't want to make these decisions and I don't think either team does, but yeah. you know, you look at what Brady got from yeah. Ottawa and you, and come on, you're telling me that Keith Kachuk wasn't like spearheading those conversations because I just, and there's nothing wrong with being a hands-on parent and, you know, wanting to be involved. But I think that if Brady's bringing in that kind of money, Matthew's probably going to 
be looking for double digits. And I don't know if the Flames can afford that. Yeah. I mean, that's the real conundrum of it all is you're going to get slowly start getting some of this bad money off of the books, but you still got, you still got to figure out what to do with Monaghan's five and a half, six, Backlund's five, Lucic's money. I mean, it sounds disrespectful to say that's kind of, you know, a sunk cost wasted money at this point, but when you have to probably give Johnny at least eight and Matthew probably at least nine and a half, if not 10, 19 million for two players that's when you start getting into the category of okay if our team isn't a stanley cup contender it's a failure and i don't know if it's realistic to set those expectations based on what you would have around goudreau and kachuk which is the other part of this yeah yeah exactly and you know like people laugh at toronto's top line for being like the most expensive line in hockey and uh you know they can't even win a playoff round and i don't think that (laughs) think Calgary would be in that conversation because like I said no one pays attention to them but uh I think if they really have they they have to figure something out and I just it's not reasonable to call them contenders it's you know they're they're getting closer but not close enough where I'm comfortable saying yeah you know like give it like four years and this team will be legit because I don't know I, I don't even know about next year so yeah everything is so fragile for them because of the way their contract situations are and who they've given money to at what point and before we get to the last part of this so if you had to say what you think the rest of the season looks like for them you figure one addition at the trade deadline what playoff seating type deal are they in where do you think they're going from here you know i think that the hockey that they've been playing is sustainable i think um they have the stamina to keep going I think this is a very different team that we've seen over the last few years um if they do make an addition at the deadline I hope that it is something reasonable and I wouldn't be surprised if they try to deal Sean Monaghan I don't know I think that they would obviously have to do a ton of salary retaining in order to make that work for any team. But I, I wouldn't hate to see them just kind of go at it. And I, I, I don't know, this, this team has felt really special all year. I don't know what it is, but something about it is giving me, you know, really good, good feelings for once. I mean, in watching them, and they're one of the teams that I try to check in on at least twice a week during the course of the season, and just every time I watch them, that's what it's supposed to look like. The way they play is repeatable, and that's that's the problem I've had with the Rangers. The Rangers have played a lot this year, the way the Bruins have played this year, the way Washington has played this year, where they're winning games, but it's by the skin of their teeth every single night. It's one or two guys just making bad shit insane plays on a regular basis and it just doesn't seem like that's repeatable whereas when I watch Calgary and that second line is out there and they're just smothering the other team in the Mm -hmm. defensive zone and they just the thing I love the way Calgary plays when I watch them they are just on the other team there is no space for the other team to operate it's why they beat the shit out of the rangers because the rangers move so slow through the neutral zone so calgary just being up in their face the entire time they couldn't complete two consecutive passes how aggressive calgary is for checking and just when you see it played at a high level 
And there are there is more than one way to play hockey at a high level in the NHL. It's just that the way Calgary plays, it's so simple, but it's so effective. Definitely. And when you break it down like that, it reminds me of uh, the way that Torts used to coach in Columbus yeah. when they were competitive and, uh, you know, not where they are now, obviously, but just something that is very in your face. They're here. They're not like, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not going to back off of you. So you have like their opponents are going to have to figure out how to beat them versus, you know, the flames saying, Oh, how, how do we beat them? Because yeah. you know they can just go out, cut, copy and paste that same game over and over again. And that's got to be hard for, you know, the, their opponents. And, I just, I don't know, like I said, I, it feels special. And even if it's not like a deep, deep playoff run, I will be happy if they make it out of the first round. That's a, that's that's the hardest part of coming to terms with it is just, okay, they're not one of the five teams this year, but win around, mm-hmm. win two rounds, have a little bit of fun along the way, see your high-end players do something crazy in the playoffs. And that's the other part of this is it's one thing to play that very repeatable over and over again style, like the way the Islanders did for two years. It's another thing to do it with guys who are as good as Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau. That's the other part of this that a lot of teams are missing. It's not just we have to play a certain style or we need to have high end talent. You need to have the high end talent that can play that certain style. And that is a testament to the fact that to how good of a coach Daryl Sutter is that he was able to come in midway through the season last year in a sunk cost season where the season was more or less over by the time he was hired, got enough buy-in that, okay, by the time we come in in the fall, we're going to be a playoff team and I know we can do it. And it shows, it really does show. And it speaks to the point you made before when we were talking about him getting hired, a lot of coaches, they have to start their camp in the off season. He was able to get 20 games with 30 games with that group and say, okay, I have a trial period here. I can tinker. I can figure out what we're good at, what we need to improve on. And it speaks to something that not a lot of teams are willing to do. If a coach clearly isn't working, suck it up. Just fire them now and get the next guy in here because this is, you shouldn't be wasting half of your season with a lame duck coach. And it goes to show that even occasionally hockey GMs have good ideas. Yeah, uh, once in a while they'll have yeah. this bright idea. It's it's not very often, but I'm just very impressed with um, the level of hockey that this team is playing because last year uh, with Jeff Ward, this team couldn't yeah. do anything. They their yeah. power play was awful. Like just their special teams was horrendous, and then their five on five was even like, please yeah. just don't. Yeah just just forfeit the game before we have to do this and this is what got me blocked by Milan Lucic because Lucic threw his teammates under the bus and was like you know the coach can only do so much the coach is not utilizing the players yeah and that's the difference that is the big difference here is the fact that Daryl Sutter is saying okay I have this to to work with let me present it in the best way possible and that's what makes him a great hockey coach. And yeah, that, it was fun to make all the Sam the Eagle jokes from the Muppets last year when they hired him. That's always fun. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do. Or the yep. the time or the time right before he got fired from the Kings, they had the players only meeting and locked him out of the dressing yeah. room. 
That, yep. That's another one of those where only weird shit like that happens in hockey. But before I get you out of here, Jess, plug the show a little bit, talk, give a little bit of a flavor of what the daily podcast is like and plug yourself. You're doing creative things. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at Jess Belmastro. Um, usually tweeting about Taylor Swift and the Sopranos because I have no personality outside of sports and pop culture. Um, Locked on Flames is a daily show. I'm on YouTube, um, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you know, it's fun. I like to talk about, uh, you know, a little bit more of the cr- critical thinking side of hockey instead of just game previews and recaps. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, we don't have a Twitter account for the show, but can find it uh, anywhere. Uh, Locked on Flames. Thank you for coming on, Jess. This was fun. Thank you so much for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. I was so excited when you asked. It's always fun to get my friends on here to just talk about hockey because my friends I see on a weekly basis are tired of me, my random theories about like the Canucks and the stars. <laughs> and like, why are you watching the Canucks on a Tuesday? Why are you staying up till one in the, cause I like hockey. I'm right. Sorry. Yeah. Like it's important. I have these, this, the show is good professionally, but it's also good for my mental. Cause I have all these ideas I need to get out. No, exactly. And like, that's the thing. That's why I love doing it because then I can like, come up with a plan to fix things and that's as a public relations major and specialist that's what we do we love to fix everything so nhl you'll find a campaign in your inbox soon oh the nhl needs a lot of help okay i want to thank jess for stopping by the show we will be back tomorrow I'm not sure which pod we're going to run tomorrow. I'm supposed to record two tomorrow. We're probably going to do the Flyers episode next. And then the Coyotes episode after that. We got a lot of content this week. Friday, Super Bowl preview. It's a good time to be a sports fan. I will see you guys tomorrow.